You never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build the new model that makes the existing model obsolete. The existential fear we all live out of is a result of money being scarce. The idea that money is valuable in itself and can increase by virtue of owning it. Every once in a while, somebody says, that goldsmith couldn't possibly have that much gold. So the goldsmiths who become bankers, they agree that they're going to support each other. You've got to find something that you really love to do that pays well enough. That pays well enough. Something that bankers are willing to fund. You have just committed your entire life energy to the hidden sovereign. And all that interest that you're going to pay, that's tribute. We could do absolutely everything that the bank does without interest. We are not going to ask the question, where are you going to get the money? We are going to issue the money to represent the value that they will create. Our task is to help people to live out of the gap between the experience that your body and the culture is giving you and who you really are. And who you really are is gonna win. My monetary IQ just jumped up about 20 points. Sit here, riveted, listen to this episode, rewind it, listen to it again, because you are gonna learn a lot. What's up, Nomads? Thank you for coming along on the ride to episode six. And we've got an incredible one here with John G. Root Jr. Now, those who've been with us since the start recall that our very first article published on launch day was Money the Long Con and What You Can Do About It quite possibly the clearest, most cogent explanation of money I've ever come across. John was the author of that article. My entire life, I've always been confused about money. Even with econ classes in college, reading 500-page books by Dave Graeber, rest in peace, and putting my life savings in ETH, total for life. I still didn't quite get how money worked. That led me to having a shadow-infested relationship with it. I'm guessing I'm not the only one, right? John speaks on how money and not surplus agriculture is what created civilization. How goldsmiths went from holding gold to becoming an international banking cartel. How our entire society is built around the banking secret and how we can right now start creating the better world we all know in our hearts as possible by issuing our own money. I started this noetic nomads thing to try to give the world what I think it needs, right? And what's awesome is is how it's giving me what I need, like helping me grow, get better, smarter, wiser, and work in my shadow like I've had with money for so long. This is a must-watch, must-listen episode. You can do so on YouTube and podcasts, and don't miss out on the noeticnomads.org website, where we have event listings, articles, contests, and a community of like-minded rebels just like you. Follow me on Twitter, at noeticnomads.org, and I'll catch you after the show. All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Noetic Nomads. My name is Albert Kim, caretaker of this oasis of news. And with me today is a man whose list of accomplishments I couldn't fully get through if I had all day. He's a president of Just Abundance, a charity dedicated to educating the public about how we, the people, can take back our sovereignty by understanding the true nature of money. He's a co-founder of Monetary Reform Group, 
CreditToThePeople.org, Senior Policy Analyst for Common Good Finance, which brought to life Common Good, a mutual credit system with which communities fund what they, and not Wall Street speculators, find valuable. He's a delegate of the Massachusetts Republic, a radical reestablishment of true Republican government within the American pretense of one. The author of the very first article published on Nomadic Nomads, The Brilliant Exposition, Money, the Long Con, and What You Can Do About It. His history is that of a champion of liberty, equality, and solidarity. And I'm honored to have him today as a guest on Noetic Nomads. Everyone, please help me in introducing someone bringing into being the better world we know in our hearts is possible. His name is John G. Root Jr. Thank you so much for coming on today, John. Wow, that was some introduction. Thank you very much. I mean, I mean look, I could have went on all day. This whole conversation could have just me listing all your accomplishments. But I mean, yes. Well, I mean, yeah, just by I, I actually, I actually spent my career working with people with disabilities, creating community uh, with people with disabilities in the Cadmus Life Sharing Association. So um, it's important to understand where I'm coming from. This better world idea that has to do with having spent my career in an intentional community. So the motto of the Cadmus Life Sharing Association is everyone is perfect in their essential being and mm. everyone is handicapped in bringing that essence to expression or that perfection to expression. <clears throat> so the the experience that uh, the life experience that I've had that uh, leads me to wanting to understand how uh, you know how we got into this mess, you know, where we're headed towards the uh, the, <laughs> the complete social uh, control of the uh, relatively hidden elites. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it had to do with this idea that the um, the support that somebody who isn't able to earn their living deserves from society, right? So if you're handicapped and we don't expect you to be able to earn your living, we provide it for you. The state provides the money the, or the family does or whatever. That could be extended because we're all handicapped mm -hmm. and we're all perfect. Yeah, right? And we're all striving. Mm. So let's just extend that idea. Let's give everyone what it is that they need in order to live. So let's give everybody a check at the beginning of the month so that they are at liberty to do whatever they damn, I mean, uh, so I, that they're be free as you want, John. There's no, there's no uh, prohibition. So that they're free to do whatever they damn please, yeah. or to quote the Declaration of Independence, uh, to pursue happiness. And the only thing that everybody knows this from their own life experience. The only thing that is the genuine source of happiness is the ability to. Uh, create conditions in which you can live out your life's purpose. Mm. So discovering what your life's purpose is and then creating the conditions in which you're able to live it mm. is the true source of happiness. So if we give everybody what they need in order to live, then they are genuinely at liberty 
to pursue happiness. And that's the, that's the whole thing in a nutshell. And I didn't say anything about money except you get a check at the beginning of the month. So that's where, you know, that's where I would like to, to go in the whole conversation, that we're really talking about uh, human nature and how the existing monetary system distorts human nature. Mm, yeah. And uh, yeah, so researching your work, um, I know that, uh, yes, you did have the, I believe, also you had the agricultural uh, co-op, I believe. Or the charity community supported agriculture yes and uh and it led you to where you are today and yeah so i was wondering uh reading up on your bio that you were educated in new york city uh in uh the waldorf school and that your parents were teachers and um your father in particular was a history teacher and he taught the unofficial history and I found that very interesting. So could you please uh, tell us more about your origin and your early educational experience and how that shaped your trajectory in life and in your career? Right. So uh, when my wife and I were in difficulties, she said, I need to go to a therapist. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is the wifely solution to uh, uh, male arrogance. Anyway. And uh, so my therapist wanted me to find all the moments of trauma in my childhood. And I was very hard pressed because I grew up in a family that was very, very committed to, dis to helping me and noticing what it was that I was actually interested in and wanted to do. So I was never being pushed in a certain direction. I, I had both my parents simply interested in understanding who I was, where I wanted to go, what was motivating me, right? So like when I was, uh, just as an example, when I was um, about 13, maybe it was 14, um, and I started to be more independent and I'd sometimes not come home for supper or I was out late or what have you, and my mother would worry. So I made a deal with my mother. And the deal was that I would always tell her everything that I was doing and she would stop worrying. In other words, you are not allowed to get yourself into a state with worry about what's happened to John, right? Mm -hmm. If it's really bad, then you have to actually do something, right? Not just worry because uh, the worry was the, was the obstacle, right? Mm -hmm. And in exchange for you not worrying, having complete confidence that my destiny will take care of me, I will know, always know what to do, right? This is the faith in yourself, right? That, that experience that is so critical to recognize that you actually have real faith in yourself. Mm -hmm. so, and my, so my part of the deal was I will always tell my mother or both of them. My, it was my mother who was always really interested. Um, I would tell her everything that I was doing and she wouldn't judge it. So uh, that's a very unique experience to have as a child, right? Yeah. You, you're, not, you're not in that situation where the interest is in who you're going, you know, who you are becoming, not what we want for you. Mm, yeah. Right? And 
my dad said, um, <clears throat> sometimes I worry about you. Your, your guardian angel is working overtime. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm, I sort of have this, uh, this sense that um, I am, if I'm observant and if I'm in touch with, my, with what's going on inwardly, um, you know, with my intuition, so to speak, mm -hmm. then I can have complete confidence that everything is, is going to be exactly the way it should be. Maybe not exactly the way I want it, but exactly the way that it really should be. I can have confidence. I can have faith in myself. So that's a, sort of the background. The Waldorf education is um, based on the work of Rudolf Steiner and anthroposophy, which is the wisdom of mankind or the wisdom of the human being. And um, he, he was uh, a conscious clairvoyant. He was able to uh, consciously communicate with the beings of the spiritual world. Um, he used the Western esoteric tradition in order to describe what he was doing, the Masonic order, basically, mm. but um, and also Eastern mysticism. So the concept of karma is a is an Eastern uh, idea, but he was describing what he actually experienced. So that's another aspect of of my background that I have this incredible work that Rudolf Steiner did uh, behind me. I don't, I don't talk anthroposophy, generally speaking, but it's what has inspired me. See, yeah. So, I'll, and I'll give you an example. The way that uh, this idea of the better world that we all know in our hearts is possible, it comes from a lecture that Steiner gave where he describes that everybody's angel is describing or painting a picture for them of the ideal social future. Mm. And he just describes this, and he says, if we don't listen to it, right, if we don't make strenuous efforts to realize the ideal social future, then the forces of evil, which he calls uh, Araman, the, the forces of evil will succeed. Everything depends on our being uh, fully engaged in creating that which we know in our hearts is possible. So there, I mean, the, 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 the background for what I'm talking about is, you know, all the way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, like, it's from childhood. And yeah, that is very fascinating. And um, I've heard a lot from Rudolf Steiner, from uh, a lot of uh, different teachers. I know, like, especially like, like Paul Czech is someone who I look up to, and he speaks mm -hmm. a lot about it. He's like, he at the Paul Czech Institute. He talks about, you know, anthroposophical school. And um, this, uh, this conversation took a very interesting turn. I wasn't expecting that. But uh, I, yeah, I, I, that's actually something that has come up recently and actually something that I've personally been dealing with the concept of evil and how there is perhaps something greater out there. Maybe we could construe it as good. Maybe we can construe it as evil. And my mission that I'm doing with Noetic Nomads is my tagline is um, uh, help us co-create the beautiful world uh, we all know was possible. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, very, uh, it's very similar uh, to yours. And 
my, my inspiration, I feel like what comes up for me is when I kind of just center myself and I just empty myself and I, in a sense, become like a vessel. And then when, and then when I just empty myself, empty my ego, I get all these insights coming up and part of me is afraid. There's a part of me that was afraid in the past that like, if I, I'm opening myself to the universe, speak through us, like flow through us, right? I'm your vessel. But I'm also like, okay, but are the, is the, is something evil? It could have possibly be allowing that to come in. And my kind of uh, interpretation is just being like, I, like, is it, it, it like even is the dualistic, is that dualism? Is that false? Is it just like, I just let whatever comes up, come in and uh, it will be the right thing because there is no good and evil or is it, or am I attuned in a certain way? where only that which is able to flow through me will come up. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Like, Of course. <laughs> oh, you do? Okay, okay, so yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's go at this from uh, the quantum point of view to okay. start with. Okay, so uh, quantum physics has demonstrated that consciousness precedes matter. Mm -hmm. In other words, the, it's the consciousness that's created, whatever consciousness is. We don't have to worry about what consciousness is at the moment, right? Mm -hmm. But whatever consciousness is, it is actually creating the world. It is creating the material world. Yeah. And the reason that we know that isn't just the double split. Um, <clears throat> experiment that Planck did and, and the quantum scientists uh, look to, it's the underlying explanation for everything. Mm -hmm. So the secret, you know, how do you manifest, right? The, the power of positive thinking, the, uh, the mind, all of that, right? Mm -hmm. So once you recognize that, the question is, what do I want to create? Right now, all there's all. <laughs> oh, you mean if I, if I go in, if I really concentrate, if I pull, if I marshal all my, all my forces, I will be able to manifest what I want. Well, we know from experience that it's both true and it's not true, mm. right? And the the way to understand that has, has to do with the fractal nature. I mean, I'm just one fractal. I contain the whole, right? Yeah, That's yeah. the idea of the fractal. I contain the whole, right? Yeah. But okay. I'm still, yeah. yeah, I'm still just a fractal. So that's why we get, why we talk about a critical mass, because the critical mass can completely shift the whole paradigm. It can shift the whole, um, <clears throat> the hologram. Anyway, so what I'm getting at is the, uh, the, the two uh, competing forces in the thing are the compulsion or the freedom. So as long as I'm submitting to all of the forces that are working on me, what my parents think, what my wife thinks, what my cohort thinks, what my... Uh, colleagues think what the culture thinks, what they're yelling at me on NPR all the time, on National Public Radio or PBS or whatever, whatever the, or the news shows or CNN or Fox or what have you, right? That's all compulsion. And so the question is, am I going, to what extent 
because it's always it's a continuum it's a spectrum right to what extent am i going to allow the compulsion to uh be what i manifest and to what extent am i going to carve out a genuine freedom space so the way that uh, we carve out the freedom space is to recognize that there is a gap between the experiences that my body is giving me, I'm listening to NPR, right? And my interpretation. Okay. Right? So uh, my interpretation is entirely up to me. Now, the culture provides all of these ready-made concepts to understand everything that's going on, including the idea of good and evil. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I'm just going to be slammed. I mean, to, 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 to separate between the experience and the interpretation, that takes real will. That takes stop, look, listen, right? Stop, stop. Don't go with the immediate culturally provided interpretation. So evil is all those people doing what they want, right? That's what evil is, that I'm allowing to influence me. That's what evil is. And good, freedom, is me out of myself out of my perfection right out of my eternal spirit out of my relationship to spirit or to god or to the good or to my angel or whatever right me acting as i want to be as i truly want to be because i've made the effort to stop the interpretation that's being provided by all those people who want it to be their way, right? So that's the difference. In other words, if we're all practicing what we call the gap, right? The Massachusetts Girl Assembly or the Better World Team, they're sort of synonymous, but um, we, we are basically oriented towards um, encouraging each other and helping each other to use the gap, to use stop. Look at that experience and interpret it in a way that brings me joy, that corresponds to the promptings of my spirit, that um, <clears throat> allow me to see what it is that I could do that would be good. And if you have a conception of uh, good and evil, like uh, external to you, right, then there's all kinds of problems that arise. But if I keep it to I can either go with the influences that are coming at me or I can create what it is that I want. So evil is doing what the other people want you to do. And good is doing what you want to do as long as you've made the effort to actually know what that is. Does that make sense to you? I mean, that makes <laughs> so much sense because, again, the reason why we're here speaking, John, is because of our mutual friend, Robin, um, whom I met in a personal integration group uh, with Rebel Wisdom over the summer. 
and the um, my uh, main objective for that group, which we all state in the beginning, is I wanted to find out who I am. So I just went deep inside. I I saw my shadow. I looked at it. I accepted it it as not as an it, but as me. I you know I integrated it back into myself, and then coming from a state of fullness and integration. I was like, oh, now I'm starting to understand why I quit that, you know, position in New York City where they're going to, you know, ha have me head, a, 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 you know, a sales division. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, actually, I don't want to do that for the rest of my life. It's like, why did I do Why did I leave? I didn't know. Because well, you, hmm? you didn't need the money anymore. Yeah. It's just. And, yeah. <laughs> and then like this, this not this Nordic Nomads thing. I have no ads. I have, I, there's no I have no revenue model right now. I'm just doing it because it just it just comes for me. And I, I know I'm in a privileged position. Not everyone can do this. You know, I, you know, so I'm just like when I do this, I, you know, I don't want to be like, oh, you're 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 not doing it right. If, if you're not pursuing this path, because I know I'm in a privileged position where I could even do this. And and yeah, that, that completely makes sense that when I kind of center myself and I, I I breathe in and I empty myself and then I accept what is to come in fully, then I'm like, I, I like I, perhaps I am, perhaps I am right not to fear evil, whatever it is, evil coming up, because I have the confidence, I have the uh, inner knowledge to know that I, I, I am full. It's coming from a good place, a pure place from within. So that, yeah, that was very helpful, John. Yeah, thank you so much. Good. So, I mean, Bill Gates is doing what Bill Gates feels called to do. Hmm. Yeah. Right. He's creating a global pandemic that will <laughs> yeah. allow the shift to the technocratic um, social control, artificial intelligence that mm. uh, eliminates any motivation to stop, look and listen. Mm. That's what he's motivated to do by his destiny, by his relationship to the spirit, by all of that okay. stuff. So and, and and he is acting quite um uh, in, uh, super intelligently from a certain point of view, mm -hmm. right? And he's entirely justified in doing that, just as you and I are entirely justified in wanting to create the better world that we know in our hearts as possible. Mm -hmm. And you could say that what Bill Gates is doing is demonstrating whether or not freedom is real. Freedom mm -hmm. is creating ourselves so if he can create a world that we all just accept yeah. freedom's not real and he's totally justified mm. right yeah. so our task your task as noetic nomads and my task is to help people to appreciate and live out of the gap mm. out of the gap between the experience that your body and the culture is giving you and who you really are. And who you really are is going to win. <laughs> yeah. Un unless we sit back and watch TV and, you know, don't, don't do what we need to do. Mm, yeah, definitely. And like what you just stated about us just being passive, that's a big thing, which I'm trying to do with this project. Cause like on the main page, like I'm, I'm, I'm doing the call to action, call to action. I'm like, 
I'm post your events, start your own group, you know, connect with <laughs> radical thinkers and doers. Because what I see a lot is, you know, like people are, are, are pacified. They've been domesticated. They're, you know, just like they're, they're, they become puppy dogs. Like, oh, you know, give me a nice little treat and I'll do what you want. And even people like within this greater, you know, sense making community, you know, like I get this feeling that a lot of times like they're still like kind of um, transferring that same uh, paradigm, like that game A paradigm where it's just like, there's this expert there, this guru, they just sit back and they just listen. And I can understand that, you know, for a while, uh, you know, I was in the same boat. Like I, I, I wasn't quite ready. I still had more integration to do. I still had to really find what I want to do. And that's, yeah, that's, I mean, like speaking of man of action, like John, like you heard my intro, like, I didn't get to, I didn't even get to 1% of what you do. So <laughs> I mean, if there's someone who understands action, uh, it's you. Yeah. So I completely, I'm, tr I'm trying to get some of that energy from you. Right. But, but basically where we're at at the moment is trying to uh, develop the kind of consciousness and relationships in the group that allow people to be mm, yes, more yes. free. Yes, yes. And because that's the essence of, of, um, of our humanity, of being human. So what I want to get to next is why all this is related to money in the monetary Absolutely, system. Absolutely, yes. Because so the, the, the experience that we have and that you went through when you were deciding not to become the sales manager, mm -hmm. that's, a, that's one of those really important moments. Um, in order to be financially secure in this system where it's required that you quote-unquote earn your living, mm. right? Yeah. Um, in order to be secure, you better have a secure job that pays well, mm. right? So yeah. let me become the sales manager. And then you go, but that's not who I am. Okay, do I have enough money in order to strike out and create nomadic uh, no, noetic nomads? And how long will my savings and how long will my other connections that are feeding me some money from whatever source... Mm right last and how long do i have till i have to monetize uh noetic nomads mm -hmm. right and and do the ad thing and what have you so the the entire system that we're living in is based on a not never having enough money yes. in order to be who we really are mm -hmm. and that is a result of the culture going Going back to the dawn of civilization, it's really important to understand that this problem, which is a seesaw, goes all the way back to the dawn of civilization. It isn't surplus agriculture that creates civilization, as the popular culture tells us. It's the introduction of money. Why? Because it allows division of labor, which is what the entire culture is based on. As soon as you have money, right? then I can exchange this thing that I do for that thing that you do, right? And the unit of value allows me to assess the relative value of all the things that are available in the economy, that are available to me, right? So that I'm able to decide what to spend my money on so that I can create the life that I want. So the entire culture is designed to make you want the privileged position <laughs> that 
you and I are in, right? <clears throat> and, and so the entire culture is controlled by what you can get money for. And the thing that people don't appreciate and that um, is the foundation of the work that I, was, that I do, and I, w I wanted to give all that other stuff at the beginning so that you wouldn't think it's just about money. I'm sure you now know that it's not just about yeah, money. Yeah, we got way deeper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, but you do want to know why it is that it's the monetary system that's creating it and that the solution is understanding money and issuing it. Mm. Not for what they want, but for what we want. So let me describe this very briefly, okay? Mm. You go to the bank. And you got $500, you sold a bedroom set, you got $500 in cash, you got five $100 bills because you don't know the person and you didn't want to deal with the check and they understand that and it all happened through Craigslist or whatever, right? So you have $500, you go to the bank. You hand the $500 to the teller along with the deposit slip which has the, your bank account number on it. And the teller takes the $500 and puts it in the cash drawer. Whose $500 is it now? Whose $500 bills is it? Who does it belong to? Uh, who does it belong to? It belongs, well, the, uh, I guess the standard is it belongs to the bank now? Yeah, and it yeah. says on it, this note is legal tender for all debts, public and private. Hmm. So you watch, it goes into the cash drawer. Now you know, just from knowing stuff, that from the cash drawer it'll go to the vault, and from the vault it'll be represented on the balance sheet of the bank as an asset, mm. right? The, the bank has $500 now. What did the bank put in your bank account? Uh, it puts... Here's the thing. I did my research. <laughs> was it? Wait, let me see if I get this right. Was it um, a promise? A promise to pay, a promise of payments? Well, yeah. They they put in the bank in your bank account that they owe you five hundred dollars. Mm. Yeah. Right. So the five hundred, the five one hundred dollar bills goes on the balance sheet of the bank as an asset, and what they put in your bank account is the liability of the bank, what they owe you. Mm. Right now, the the idea that you deposited the money. Oh, so that's still my money, right? I deposited mm. my money in the bank. Mm. That's a deception. That's a conceptual deception. It goes back to the late Middle Ages because mm. you deposited gold with the goldsmith. Right? Yes, I did. I deposited gold with the goldsmith. And he gave me a receipt for the deposit. That's my gold that the goldsmith is safekeeping for me. And I'm going to pay a little bit of money in order to, for him to safekeep it for me. Hmm. Right? Now, if I want to transfer the ownership of the gold that the goldsmith is safekeeping for me, I could... Uh, sign the receipt over to someone else. I see. And now they would 
owned the gold and they could go to the goldsmith and take out the gold. I think that's way more convenient than having to go get the gold and hand it to the guy if I could just sign over the receipt. Yeah, I can see does, why people think that, yeah. Does that sound like a check? Mm, uh, yeah, a little bit, actually. Maybe it does. Yeah, yeah. like, a, like yeah. a check in a checkbook. Oh, okay, I see. Right? Yeah. I have a checkbook, and I instruct the bank to transfer the ownership of what I think I deposited in the bank to somebody else. Okay. So if you're looking at this from the point of view of the goldsmith, right? the goldsmith finds that hardly anybody ever comes for the gold. Mm. In fact, uh, in the course of a year, less than 10% of the gold that he has in storage, right, that he's safekeeping, is withdrawn or new gold put in. Mm, okay. It's really small yeah. compared to the... So if somebody wants, needs money, he can offer them a receipt for gold. Mm. Confident that if somebody does come, he'll have plenty of gold to redeem the receipt with. Mm. But they don't come. So after a while, he's lent... To, to people at interest, receipts for gold that is as much as all the gold that he has on deposit, so to speak, right? On deposit, yeah. where the name, where the word is legitimate. And now he can start adding, because of the 10% or the 12%, um, he can start issuing receipts for gold he doesn't even have. Mm. And people's experience of it being valuable because you could go and get the gold, which is actually valuable, is the basis for the entire banking system. Okay. What happens? The goldsmiths are no longer goldsmiths. They're bankers. And they're pretending that they have gold to back the receipts for gold that they're issuing. Way beyond. They're creating money. And nobody knows. It's really hard to find out. Every once in a while, somebody says, that goldsmith couldn't possibly have that much gold. And so everybody goes to the goldsmith with their receipts for gold to withdraw the actual gold. They've lost confidence. Right? So everything depends on the goldsmith being able to save the deception. So the goldsmiths who become bankers, they all get together. And they agree in a, in a really powerful secret society that they're going to support each other. If there's ever a run on the bank, they will support each other. So the goldsmith says, I don't have your gold here. I have to go and get it. You need to give me three days. And all the other goldsmiths who've become bankers, they rush him the gold that he's going to need to save the deception. That is exact. Now, do you think the goldsmith is justified in doing what he's doing? Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. If you are so stupid as to not see what I'm doing, you deserve it. Now, gold, that's evil right? Mm. 
but not from his point of view. If you could deceive everybody, right? Mm. And, 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 and enjoy the incredible prosperity that comes from that, wouldn't you feel entirely justified? Maybe you have a conscience. I don't know. Well, maybe you have. Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah you know, maybe. That, that hurts things having a conscience. Yeah. <laughs> but I can see a lot of people, yeah, they're like, they could justify but, anything in their heads. Yeah. Right. But on the other hand, think about all the things that you do that are actually against your conscience. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, a, it's just a matter of degree. That's why I was saying that, you know, you're on this fractal. Right. It's a matter of degree. So I, you and I are trying to stay as true to ourselves and Robin mm-hmm. are trying to stay as true to ourselves as possible. Yeah. As we can manage mm. always room for improvement. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so what I'm getting at is that the entire culture is created in order to preserve the banking secret. Mm. It's an open secret but it's an extremely well-guarded secret. So let's make it really clear how incredibly powerful it is. When yeah. do you need the bank? When do you really need the bank? When I mean, the bank, it's nice to have a bank account and banks, you know, they manage the, settle the accounts between us. They transfer the money all around the world, mm-hmm. whatever, it all just works. So from that point of view, banks are great. When do you really need the bank? When do we really need the bank? Uh, as you stated, so the tr- the transfer between the different organizations is a f- they could provide a they could be like a, a f- intermediary, be more efficient in that way. When are you anxious about going to the bank? When am I anxious? When I don't. When you want to buy a house. Oh, oh, okay. So I want to take out a loan. Is it... <laughs> okay, okay, okay. That's what I really need. Oh, okay. Hey, nobody in my family has enough money to give me to buy the house. Ah, okay. They just don't. Yeah. Not true in my case, but. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I, I was already thinking from like the kind of new economic paradigm where like we could uh, like, because like, like we could have either like crowdfunding now or like, like you said, public banks or other kind of. Uh, Right. New institutions, but yeah, traditionally, yeah, getting a so, loan. So, and and still true to this day. I mean, you go to the bank to borrow money. Where does the bank get the money that they're going to lend you? Do you know? Um, well, I could give my uh, kind of uh, <laughs> remedial answer. I guess it would be they make it out of thin air. Is that? <laughs> Would that be accurate in any sense? <laughs> okay, so money is never issued in, out of thin air. It doesn't make any sense. <clears throat> what happens is that you promise to pay the bank. Okay. Right? You give the bank a promissory note or a promise to pay. And if you're buying a house, you're going to sign a mortgage as well. Where does that go? Where does that promissory note go? promissory note that goes on uh, on the balance their, sheet of the as, bank as, 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 an as asset. their as their asset that's right mm. it goes on the balance sheet of the bank as their asset mm. you promised to pay yeah <laughs> so what did they put in your bank account that you think you're borrowing money from them 
Mm, a liability? <laughs> That's right. What they owe you. <laughs> that is interesting. Yeah, can, yeah. can you see how powerful the banking secret is? Mm, yeah. It's incredibly powerful. You are borrowing money from the hidden sovereign on the basis of your commitment to the bank to do the things that will make the money that they created for you as what they owe you valuable. You have just committed your entire life energy to the hidden sovereign. And all that interest that you're going to pay, that's tribute to oh. the hidden sovereign. That is wow. Like John, thank you for coming on for <laughs> educating me, but for educating the public, because I know my, my entire life, like I just thought I was stupid, right? Like my intuition about money and like what it's supposed to represent. Like I was never sure to this day, right to this moment. It's still like, you know, cause it's just the, the, this paradigm that we live in, it's just so all consuming that it just like, what we find valuable and how we, you know, like how we produce value, how we create value, it just, it just com been completely distorted. And for example, you know, I got a, you know, a business and engineering degree in university and in macroeconomics 101, like they would teach us stuff like, oh, economics started with like barter and stuff. Even though if you look back historically, that's not at all the case. And they said, like, for example, they talked about the Federal Reserve. And my professor's like, oh, it's a good thing that the Fed is a private institution so that its decisions remain independent from political interference. And I remember, I remember hearing that. I was like, no, that does not sound right. <laughs> so again, like what you're saying, like this is really important because as you stated in the um, article, uh, uh, Money in the Long Con and what you could do about it, like no real change is possible without, without monetary reform. Uh, so I'm just wondering like what you think about like, how is it that our, it's been distorted? How have these forces completely kind of uneducated us, miseducated us on this topic? Um, <clears throat> well, it's necessary to create a culture in which nobody understands what's really going on in order to maintain the banking secret. Mm -hmm. So the, what we call the cabal or the uh, international bankers or whatever. So Carol Quigley, we were talking a little bit earlier about my father's teaching American history from the uh, Carol Quigley's mm -hmm. Tragedy and Hope. So Carol Quigley um, was an historian at George Washington University. People know about uh, Carol Quigley because Bill Clinton, <laughs> right, Bill Clinton um, said that uh, uh, Carol Quigley was his mentor and that he learned a lot about how the world really works. Well, that's absolutely true because the world really works by what we've been talking about. There's a banking cartel that funds everything because they issue the money as what they owe you, right? Yeah. So they create the basis for you to dedicate your life to making the money that they created for you or that they issued as what they owe you valuable. So they have to create a culture, they have to create a context in which that is never clear, in which there's an explanation for everything that is hammered in over and over again your entire life. 
You have to earn your living. And, and, uh, yeah. and you never get to think, just one, one second, you never get to think, no, 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 my life is always being given to me by all the other people. In fact, everything that I, I mean, this computer, this desk, this house, this, it was all done by other people. It was all given to me by other people. Oh, no, 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 there was money in between. You had to earn the money in order to be able to buy. Oh, so it really is the money that's creating this whole situation. It's the money that creates. If I just look at what's happened, this is Jane Jacobs, the... Um, she's an economist. She's, she died recently, a few years ago. She dedicated her life to looking at how economies develop without looking at the money. So we have an incredible wealth of information about how economies actually develop if you're not looking at the money. Right? So it is the money that's creating this world. It is all the things that you have to do in order to have money. And who's deciding what those things are? Who's deciding what you can get money for? Banks. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, the existential fear that we all live out of is a result of money being scarce and the idea that money is valuable in itself and can increase by virtue of owning it. Those are the fundamentally false ideas that create this entire culture. You have to control education, you have to totally control the government, you have to completely control or pretty completely control education. You have to uh, manage Hollywood, you have to manage the media, you have to, and it just goes on and on and on. And you can go through the history and see where they accomplished each one of these things. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, you were talking about how, like, the existing monetary system, like, to go on what you just said, like, the, it treats money as valuable in itself rather than representing what's actually valuable, which are goods <laughs> and services and how money earning interest and investing for a turn, like, just more on that and how money should be a tool to make trade easy and efficient. And something that I found very interesting in what you stated, you stated that people are naturally egoistic in their consumption, but they're actually naturally altruistic in their production. And again, like to go on what you said, uh, the idea of having to work for a living distorts this by turning production into an egoistic activity. So uh, can you go into further like what you meant by this and the implications this has for society at large? So I'm so glad. That, that was a major point. I'm so glad you appreciated that. Um, when you're asking yourself um, how you want your life to be, what do I need to do in order to provide for myself and my family? Right? Um, what sort of a life do I want? You're entirely justified in being completely egotistical. I mean, what are you doing except satisfying all these needs and desires, right? That that you have, that you have for your fam, that you have for yourself, that you have for your family. I mean, I've always had an RV, and it was one of those things that was important. So my money goes to, or some of my money, right, goes to having an RV. I actually converted a bus because I needed to do it the way I wanted to do it. 
needed to sleep eight people and take people with disabilities on vacation, you know. So all of that, from that point of view, the taking people with disabilities on vacation is the altruistic production side, right? But I want the bus my way. That's the egotistical side, right? So that's, the nat that's human nature. I am entirely justified in being a complete egotist when I'm buying what I need or desire or want, right? Yeah. Now, as soon as I'm looking at my community and I'm deciding what would be useful to do for the world, for, the, you know, for people, I'm, being, I'm doing it because I see the need to do it. I have the capacity and the talent to do it. I'm doing it entirely altruistically. I'm not doing it for myself. I'm doing it for the, to, to, to accomplish the purpose which I've now identified with. I'm going to dedicate my time and energy and my money to creating something worthwhile, like noetic nomads, like just abundance, like... Uh, the Massachusetts Journal Assembly, like the Better World team. I'm going to spend my time and energy doing the thing, the serving the transcendent purpose that I feel called to serve. I will be altruistic. So let's issue the money, right? Let's take the power to issue money away from the banks. We don't have to do it through government or anything. We can just create our own monetary system. It's called community-created credit, right? So, but it requires community. It requires uh, like-minded people. <clears throat> it requires a sense that we could, in fact, be sovereign. We could create the conditions that we all agree would be good. So before I go there... Let's go back a little bit. The genuinely satisfying experience is doing something that you love to do for the sake of doing it. Absolutely. absolutely. It's amazing. We're in the call. Oh, they tell you you need to choose a career <laughs> that will both provide enough money for you to live and be at least sort of in that direction. Right? What color is my parachute? It was a famous, uh, you know, uh, job skills book. You know, design and that, that that's what the first chapter is about. You got to do both things. You got to find something that you really love to do, right? That pays well enough. It's the that pays well enough that's the problem. Exactly. Yeah. That pays well enough. Something that bankers are willing to fund, such as monopolistic companies. What's the best thing for banks to invest in? Companies that are creating monopolies or duopolies. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to have Microsoft and Apple. I mean, really, yeah. otherwise the, the illusion goes away. We have this illusion that they're competing with each other. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh -uh. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, that was uh, one thing I wanted to get to. Like, I'll, like I definitely, we're definitely gonna get into uh, your work with all your different organizations just for abundance and sociocracy and coming good. But actually going on that, I'm very interested that you brought up like the tech companies. For example, I was uh, reading up on how you're talking about how like the trillions of dollars are transferred from the Pentagon into black ops. Okay, now we're, we're getting into some, some interesting territory here. And then you have uh, 
uh, people are being inundated with like psyops apps, such as Google, Amazon, and Facebook. And like, this is very interesting, especially with uh, the social network, I mean, the social dilemma documentary that just came out on Netflix and um, how like, this is just completely hijacking our attention and how we act and what we believe. And um, so I just wanted to go further into like what you meant by uh, Google, Amazon, Facebook, like, are they being propped up? Are the, are they intentionally being, uh, uh, you know, being created as anti-social networks? And like, how could we create a more pro-social network? It, it's very interesting to remember how long Amazon wasn't profitable. Oh yeah, definitely. And it's very interesting to remember how long Facebook wasn't profitable. Mm. And uh, although Google has been somewhat profitable since the very beginning, um, it has always been able to fund all of its acquisitions. Mm. And anybody comes along with an innovation in the social technology and one of those companies buys it. Right, so Google buys YouTube. I mean, really. Um, where do you get the money to do that? Did, is it retained earnings? No, it's somebody approving your strategy. So what deal did the young Bill Gates make with IBM in order to be able to produce their operating system when he was merely tweaking DOS, disk operating system? open source and copywriting it. What did he have to do in order to get IBM to endorse his Microsoft uh, operating system? Give them a back door. Who's controlling IBM? Who was the original initial buyer of the computers? The Defense Department and banks. So what do they want? They want access to the data. So they, the, in order to make, in order to be in good with the creators of the money, which is the banking system, you have to agree to do something that will be good for the banks. Google, backdoor to all that in, information, right? Facebook, backdoor. Um, Apple, backdoor. Microsoft, backdoor. If you look at the history of Apple, they were completely stuck until Bill Gates, I mean, until Steve Jobs finally agreed. Steve Jobs agrees to the backdoor, and boom, Apple takes off. And then they, they go, they drop Motorola and they go with the Intel. Oh, Intel, Intel, okay. Right, so they go with the Intel chip, makes, the, makes it easier. So um, that's the complete explanation for why some, so you need, you need somebody who's completely ruthless like Bill Gates, mm. and you need somebody who's sufficiently ambitious like Steve Jobs, or you need somebody who's completely naive like the, the guys who started Google, or you need the, I um, can't remember their names, Page. Larry Page, yeah. Larry Page. Sergey Brin, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're really, um, they were genuine idealists. They had this brilliant idea for how to do a search engine. 
And there you get this wonderfully clean interface, not like it used to be with Yahoo or whatever, mm. right? There's this beautiful clean interface. I'm immediately sold. <laughs> I switch to Google as soon as I see that. Oh my God, I'm not being bombarded, right? So, um, and of course, then they're not able to maintain uh, the company. So they, they create a board and, you know, they go corporate and public and somebody else is running it. Um, the same thing with Jeff Bezos. Um, they pick somebody who has the uh, uh, un, unattached to morality, uh, you know, He's independent Luthor, yeah. of, uh, with the intellectual capacity and the energy. And they say, okay, I like your idea of becoming the online retailer and we'll fund you until you're so dominant that you're a monopoly and of course you'll be profitable. Mm. And you don't need to find all the detail. I mean, I've seen an awful lot of the detail about how all of this actually happens, but mm. you don't need it to understand it. It's all in what can you get money for? Mm. And, that, and that's big, especially like uh, these these tech companies are flying with this pandemic happening. I mean, Amazon now everyone's ordering Amazon Prime. They don't want to go out. They can't go out. There's like so they just open up warehouses, shipping everything, and it goes very much with what uh, the, what I saw the past few year, years. I saw the same pattern, like this whole Russia Gate thing, and like I, I kind of saw it as like Congress, you know, like the deep state or whatnot, just bringing these big tech companies, being like, oh. These Russians, they hacked it. You know, they they mess with you. They mess with our democracy, right? <laughs> For example, like uh, was Zach Zach De La Roca from Rage Against the Machine, he has a quote: uh, "Whoever uh, tells you that you're free, they're your enemy, right?" It's just like no, <laughs> like they're like, you know, and they're like they bring in like Zuckerberg, they bring in these tech CEOs, like they're shaming you. Oh, you're so bad. You did this. You allowed a democracy to get compromised. So what? We want even more access. We want, we want to you know, impose more regulations. You know, we want to be integrated with you even more. And it, it, it's so funny because now it's like Trump and he's like, let's ban all these Chinese tech companies because they're going to allow back doors and that's evil. And, you know, it's like Russia, they're interfering in elections around the world. They're evil. And just like what they're just doing, they're doing the same thing we've been doing forever. <laughs> and now we're just complaining, you know, they're just turning everything back on us. And now you know, like they're just complaining They're you know, sour grapes. And then now we're in this mess right now. So um, the next the next piece of this is what can we do about it? Exactly. That's what and so say. there are yeah. two things that you can do about it. One is you can understand that um, how the monetary system works is really the problem. Yeah. And that because that's really important. Um, if you don't understand how the uh, how it's the way in which the money is issued and the understanding of money that creates the problem, so I'll give you I'll give you an example so that you can appreciate what I'm talking about. If you um, can save up enough money. Right, so that the interest or the dividend or the capital appreciation of the money will be enough to support you. You can get out of the rat race. Yeah. Right. So, um, what you need to do 
is not spend all the money that you earn. You need to put enough away, at least so that you can have a retirement, or even better, so that you can get to early retirement, and uh, even better, so that it will provide enough money so that you can, I don't know, tour the world, do whatever you, whatever you want to do. So um, there's a, an element of us that finds that really appealing. Yeah, I can spend a good deal of time earning enough money and socking it away so that I will never have to earn money again. There's a, an element of us that finds that really appealing. Yeah, I can spend a good deal of time earning enough money and socking it away so that I will never have to earn money again. What does that mean? It means that you are accumulating the power to make people who don't have money work for you. Yeah. Right? You can compel them. And if I borrow money from the bank in order to put myself in business so that I'll be able to create enough wealth and earn enough money so that I won't ever have to work again, right? And that bank does something that I borrowed the money from that I have to pay the, um, the principal and the interest to, right? I'm now paying principal and interest in a monthly amount every month to that bank. Now, the bank does something that takes away the basis for my business, right? I'm, I'm now, uh, you know, I was doing whatever it was, and now I can't do that anymore because there's some innovation that the banking system funded that takes away that basis. Mm -hmm. I still owe that money. Yeah. I still owe principal and interest. And I am now going to do, even though it was the bank that caused me not to be able to continue with my plan, I'm still going to have to do stuff so that I can pay back that um, <clears throat> mortgage. Or I'm going to go bankrupt, which Joe Biden make, has <clears throat> was the champion of the legislation that made really impossible to, or made it really much more difficult to go bankrupt. And you can't get out of your student loans. Yeah. Anyway, what I'm getting at is that it's the fact that the interest is due and payable regardless. Yes. That creates the reality. You are now, it's now necessary for you to do something that you really don't want to do in order to have the money to maintain your credit score. Right? And if your credit score drops too low, well, now you're really handicapped. You can't even buy a house. You can't even, I mean, it's even hard to rent. <laughs> so everything is controlled by that. Is there any justification at all for money making money by owning the money? Is there any justification for that at all? Can you see a circumstance in which it would be reasonable for the money to increase by virtue of owning it? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but the money needs to represent the value and the value increases. Mm -hmm. Oh, you mean we would have to issue more money? 
to represent the increase in value? Yeah, we would have to issue more money to represent the increase in value. Not assign it to whoever owns it. Not pay that increase to whoever owns it. Right? We would need, in order to make the whole thing work properly so that the money is properly representing the value, right? That's what money does. Money represents the value of the things that are actually valuable. I mean, it's, it's a ledger in an account at the bank. It's not anything. It exists by law. Oh, you mean money doesn't, isn't a function in the economy? No, of course not. It's what the sovereign establishes in order to represent the value of all the things that we do for each other. Yeah, I mean, that, like, yeah, that was like, this is one of the big things, like researching your work. And look, and I loved researching you because I was just edu- like, you know, education bombs. Like, of course, like, as I mentioned, like your article uh, was the first one I published on Noetic Nomads because I, talk- I-, I was talking with Robin. I was, I was looking up Robin's work and on uh, Ten Syllables website, I was like, oh, my God, this article, it's so clear. It's so cogent. I never heard anyone talk about money like this. It happened to be you, John, <laughs> and then uh, and then Robin reached out like, "Hey, I mean, you, maybe you could ask John to be on." I was like, "And I'm so grateful that you're on and that you're blessing us with this information." And just speaking about interest, I mean, this is crazy because you, I mean, you stated that interest uh, can make up to between 25 and 50 percent of the price that we're paying, and basically, this whole monetary system is designed is that uh, those who pay more interest, which is 98 percent of us. We're just handing that over uh, to those who in, uh, receive more interest than they pay. So, I mean, and then now this is where I want to segue into what exactly can we do about it? And reading your essay, uh, The Butterfly Society, which I think is a beautiful metaphor. Uh, you spoke about uh, mutual credit and sociocracy and how it could be a new model to move from this ravenous caterpillar system into the butterfly system. So, right. like, it would be wonderful if you could just maybe explain this metaphor and what it represents. So, so once you understand that the money only ever represents the value, is the stand-in for the, thing, for the value of the things that are actually valuable, then you let go of wanting the money. Mm. What you want is the good or the service. And the money is just facilitating that. And you don't want any attachment anymore to the money. Yes. Exactly. What you want is for the money to be an accurate representation of the value. Hmm. So now we're looking at the economy and, and society as a whole from a very different point of view. And the most important idea to understand, we're going to get to community-created credit and sociocracy in a minute, okay? We will get there okay. in just a minute. I just want to make sure that we That's don't right. leave this conversation without talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, we will get there. Yeah. The thing is that um, you know from just life that the only time that you're willing to spend your money is when what you're getting is more valuable to you than the money. And when you're selling something, um, the money is more valuable than what you're selling. Mm. And if it's equal, eh, why bother? Right? I mean, if what you're getting is equal, 
it doesn't make any sense to go through all the trouble of, of shopping, right? It has to be worth more to you than the money. Yeah. It has to. So there's an aspect of human nature which is uh, sort of like nature. I mean, you plant the seed and you get thousands. You plant the acorn and, and my wife and I are cleaning up acorns from the lawn. They just keep dropping and dropping and dropping. I mean, it's just, it's just an increase. Right? Um, okay, it has to do with the sun and the water and blah, 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 and all that stuff. It's the same in economics. Every transaction is profitable to both parties, as long as it's an honest, open, you know, genuine transaction, exchange. Human nature is constantly producing a surplus. Constantly. Every transaction benefited both parties. How would you capture the increase in value? You would have to issue money to represent it, wouldn't you? Oh, so where is it going? How come we don't experience Well, it's all going to interest, isn't it? I mean, where would the interest come from? They issued the principal. They never issued the interest. Where would the interest come from? Where would the money to pay the interest come from? if it was never issued by the bank, because they only issue the principal. Now, once you've got all of those concepts, human nature is such that we're constantly creating a surplus, right? And Abraham Lincoln says, there's a wonderful book called, I want everybody to know this book. It's yes, called share this. The Economics of Lincoln by Gaber Borat. Okay, The Economics of and, Lincoln. Right, and... And Lincoln points out that the purpose of government, this is how we get there, right? The purpose of government is to create the conditions in which the people can enjoy rising standards of living. Mm. <laughs> you know, a government of, by, and for the people. If we understand money, and that the money only ever represents the actual value of the things that are actually valuable, then there is no reason why we couldn't get together, if we understand that, and issue money to represent the value of the things that we agree we value. Okay, so yes, it's a big deal. You have to have a community of people who understand money. And you have to have a community of people who want to cooperate with, oh, that's like every company. Oh, but we can't do that. Nobody understands money, so it'll never work. How will you ever get a community of people? Ah, that's the whole point. We need to inspire each other. We need to have the feeling that we are able to manifest that world, that better world that we know in our hearts is possible. Okay, so let's get together in order to create the better world that we all know in our hearts is possible. And when we get together, we will ask ourselves, is it a good idea? Okay, it's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I would love to have one of those. <laughs> you know, that would be great. Uh, oh, yeah, sure. I'm willing. Yeah, that would be a good idea. Okay, are there people who want to do it? Oh, yeah, look, that's how we heard about it. These are the people who are wanting to do it. Are they capable of doing it? I mean, we're not wasting our money, right? Are they capable of doing it? Yes, everything that they need 
in order to be able in order to have the skill set to do it is available and they could get the education so that they really are able to do it okay last question is it a good use of the natural or the built resources um, okay so they want to tear down that building and build this one is that a good use of the built resources is it a good use of the natural resources? Well, they want to do it in a totally environmentally sustainable way. Okay, it's a good idea. There are people who want to do it, who are motivated to do it. They are capable of doing it, and it's a good use of the resources. We are not going to ask the question, where are you going to get the money? We are going to issue the money to represent the value that they will create. Why? Because we understood what money is, what credit is. Now, if they succeed, and everybody wants one, wow, we're going to have to issue an awful lot of money to represent all that value that that created. Yeah. Oh my God, we better send everybody a check at the beginning of the month, a dividend, right? A real dividend. Who does it go to? It goes to human nature. It goes to everybody. It doesn't go to the owner of the money. We created the money in order to do that thing that we really wanted, that we thought was a good idea, that people wanted to do, that they were capable of doing, that was a good use of the resources. It benefits everyone. Oh, we could create the society to benefit everyone if we understood money. Okay, it fails. Nobody wants it. Hey, there's too much money in the economy. We put too much money in. We put more money in than is representing real value. We'll have to take some out. Okay, everybody, you're getting taxed. Everybody. Not Or everybody in the community that's doing it, right? I mean, you know... So that's the, that's the essence of it. Uh, well, how would we ever agree that this is a good idea, right? That, that whole thing. How would we ever agree? Well, we would have to have a way of governing ourselves that included everybody. I mean, we would have to have a government of the people. In other words... The people are creating the government, right? Yeah. And it would have to be a government by the people in order to do what the people want for the people. That means we would have to hear from everyone. Well, you can't ever hear from everyone. Oh, yes, you can. You need to create what Jefferson called the Ward Republic. If we were to create the government on the basis of what people who could get together in their neighborhood or ward, so let's say that there's um, <clears throat> 100 people in your ward, right? Ten of them might be willing to meet on a regular basis in order to help us all govern ourselves, right? And everybody has a right to join that circle, right, to, to govern ourselves. You don't have to. You could. You have the right to. That would be one of the things that we'd establish. And now we're going to create a neighborhood of wards. 
and a, city, a town of wards and a city of wards and a county of wards and a state of wards and a nation of wards. I see. Fractal measures we were talking about. We're going to select someone from our members in the ward to represent us in the uh, neighborhood of wards who will select someone to represent them in the town of wards who will elect somebody to represent them in the county of wards, who will elect someone to represent them in the state of wards, mm. who will elect someone to represent them in the nation of wards. And everything, in order to be um, uh, affected, put into effect, has to go through, has to be approved by the wards. It has to come, wherever it originates, if it originates at the national level, it has to be approved by all the wards. How exactly we do that, you know, that, that, um, that depends on using a system that would really work, like sociocracy or dynamic governance. Um, and if it originates in our ward, well, it just affects our ward. If it originates at the state level, then it would have to be approved by and, and go, go along with all of the wards. So the idea that we would be working with is that we are issuing the money, right, to accomplish and regulating the money supply to accomplish what it is that we in our wards agree would be good. And we have absolutely no expectation that there's any private benefit. It's always a public benefit. It's always common good. It's always allowing us to enjoy the rising standards of living that our ingenuity and our industry provide, our energy. So you have an economic process that's based on an insight inspiration from spirit however you define the spirit i don't you know however you define it right you are inspired to do something that would benefit your community you are altruistically inspired to create something that would be valuable to your community whatever however you think that nation ward neighbors whatever In order to accomplish that idea, that inspiration, you need to be provided with all the things that you need in order to do it by people who have confidence that you could do it. So we don't want to sit together all the time. Let's, let's appoint people who we believe um, would be able to represent us. So if it's a big idea, we all need to participate in it. If it's somebody wanting to do something that we've already agreed is a good idea, uh, let them get the money from the new kind of banker who represents the community. Oh, isn't that what banks do now? Yeah, but they charge interest. And the banking cartel creates the culture. But we could do the same thing. We could do absolutely everything that the bank does, that the banks do now, except for us, without interest. 
without anybody having to own it, without anybody having to uh, be disadvantaged, so to speak. I mean, people with disabilities get enough money to live at the standard of the community in which they are, at the median level. That's the criteria. We don't provide poverty funding for people with disabilities. We provide middle-class income for people with disabilities. They don't live in substandard. They live in the community, in the group home, right? Oh, we could do that for everybody. And then everybody would be at liberty. Okay, so the idea of governing ourselves, once we understand that if we're governing ourselves and we understand money, we can issue it to accomplish all the things that we agree would be good. That's the key to the whole thing. Right? So now we need to think about how would we govern ourselves. Well, if it's going to be for the common good, then we have to hear from everyone. You can't hear from everybody in a big circle, so you have to have little circles. And those little circles have to be well facilitated so that the aim of hearing from everyone, and each of those circles has to have a purpose. They need to have their raison d'etre, what it is that they're going to be deciding. And they have to have a reasonably well-defined and understood vision and mission. So the purpose of the Better World Team is to create the better world we know in our hearts as possible. Uh, which is the same basic statement for the Massachusetts General Assembly, which I'm also part of. Mm. And the uh, United States of America Republic which I'm also wor working on. I'm the delegate from, I'm one of two delegates from yeah. Massachusetts General oh, yeah. Assembly to the national organization. Mm -hmm. uh, that organization is still working on a well-defined purpose. <clears throat> My point is this. As soon as we're going around the room, around the circle, to hear from everybody, is this a good idea? What do you think of this proposal? We are going to create a proposal that includes everybody's best effort, everybody's best thoughts, everybody's uh, willingness to engage, um, everybody's, you know. And so what we're looking for is all the thoughts that people have that we usually think of are objections, that aren't objections, they're contributions to making the proposal something that we can all consent to as good. At the moment that you're doing that, at the moment that the aim is not to do what I want, but to discover together what we want, right? And everybody's included and whenever there's a conflict, we have all kinds of ways of dealing with it. You know, we can do popcorn, we can do uh, uh, fishbowl, put two people in the middle who are having a disagreement and listen to them talk to each other, mm. right? 
Uh, there's all kind. Of, we can have uh, brainstorm. We can have um, the uh, the what do you call it when you're when the yarn's all tangled up, right? You know, we're in it. We're in, and you pull on it, right, oh, <laughs> until yeah. you get it into a ball, right? Okay, so now I see it was all tangled up. So we can untangle. We can, uh, and everybody can participate in that. Let's say we have two people uh, who are on, really on opposite sides. This is a really bad idea. This is a really good idea. And everybody listening to them, but also able to contribute. What about this? What about that? Um, human nature is such that everybody wants the team to succeed. Everybody wants us to accomplish the purpose that we agreed to. Everybody wants to get there. And as soon as you're in a well-facilitated meeting <clears throat> and the community is committed to learning and the community is committed to hearing from everyone and the community is committed to um, consequence, to accountability, to all the thing, integrity is in essence. And if we understand the gap, if we're going after what is the best, what is the most life empowering interpretation of the phenomenon that we're addressing, what would be the best way to deal with education? Do we want to send the kids to school? I mean, do we want schools? Yeah, that's a good question right now, especially, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so what are the advantages of schools? What are the disadvantages? What could we put in place otherwise? Oh, okay, so now nobody's under severe economic pressure, right? Hmm. So everybody could dedicate a certain number of hours a week to educating kids by including them in what they're doing. Oh, you mean, uh, and we could fund that? Oh, my God. Hey, we could create the better world. <laughs> Why? Because we're listening to everyone. We're dedicated to accomplishing our purpose. And we have all the social techniques that we need in order to do that, in order to hear from everyone, in order to help every... Let's say that we agree that we're always only going to use a rational argument to uh, represent our point of view. And somebody in the group says, I don't like it. And we ask them why, I just don't like it. Now the entire group is going to help that person to bring the I don't like it into a rational argument. Why don't you like it? And we'll concentrate on helping that person find out why it is that they don't like it so they can express it in a reasoned argument. If they express it in a reasoned argument, we can have a conversation about it. If we're in a consensus-based Quaker-type uh, situation and somebody says, I don't like it, that's the end of it. Now, the commitment is to the rational argument. The commitment is to the engagement. The commitment is to the purpose. What is the purpose of our group? Uh, let's say that the purpose of the group that has come together is uh, two who are going to be our bankers. 
who are going to be the people in our ward that you go to when you want the community to issue, when you want money to be issued on behalf of the community, right? So what are we looking for? And we're going around the circle, and we're asking each person, well, what do you think we're looking? What are the qualities that we need, right? And and the last thing you want is the idealist who's going to approve of everything, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> you want. You want the skeptic who's going to make sure that person knows absolutely what they need to do in order to make the money we're creating valuable. But they need to be compassionate. They need to have really good people skills. You don't want the schizoid to not be able to create the world-changing invention because the banker that he went to didn't have the people skills. Mm. Oh. We should make sure that everybody can choose the banker that they want to go to. This is all Steiner, by the way. Wow. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if there's any the, Steiner resources, please shout them out <laughs> so the audience could get to this. Yeah. Uh, the, the, um, the main idea that uh, we're working with from the anthroposophical perspective is what's called the threefold social order. Okay. Or trifold. So um, there are three ideals that are always experienced genuinely by everybody. And one is freedom, one is equality, and one is brotherhood yeah. or cooperation. So we all want to be free. Um, the equality piece or the justice piece is really important, and we all want to be. In, part of a community. So you could say that um, being free to pursue justice in a community is what we all want. Mm. So when is it important to be free? It's important to be free when you're working on the idea, when you're working on your inspiration. Anything that has to do with the culture, anything that has to do with philosophy or music or the arts, or religion, or science, right? So culture is actually made up of the truth, science, right? What's true? Um, beauty, art, mm. and uh, morality or goodness. So um, <clears throat> you have truth beauty and goodness. I want to live in a way that I'm inspired by the truth to create something beautiful that does good in the world. Truth, beauty, and goodness. That's the culture. And, and you absolutely need to be totally free in that realm. Right? It's, it's totally important that nobody is compelling me to adopt consensus science, right? Yeah, I am yeah. always in a position. And if other people experience what I've created as beautiful, the painting or the music or the uh, novel or the essay, the Butterfly Society, whatever, right? Mm. I need to be totally free to do that. And I'm going to be living my life out of 
my sense of intuition and morality so that everything I do is going to be good. So science, art, and religion are absolutely governed by the total freedom of the individual. Can't be governed by anything else. If it is, it's going to suffer seriously. The truth will suffer, the beauty will suffer, or the, beauty, or the goodness will suffer. Now, when it comes to us in our community, we're all equal. Everybody is entirely different. We just discovered that, you know, pursuing the truth and creating beauty and doing the good is totally individual. You need to be completely free. We're all totally different. When we're together in the realm of uh, creating the society, we're all equal. We need to hear from everyone, mm. right? The only way to create justice is for everybody's sense of justice to have the opportunity to manifest. In other words, we always need to uh, evaluate what it is that we're creating by together as a society through our governance system. We always have to uh, agree that it serves justice. So everybody has a very, very similar sense of justice and everybody's solution for the injustice is a little bit different. That's, that's because of, so the equality has to do with the sense of justice and the difference has to do with the solution. So governance is all about <clears throat> the equality of the people before the quote-unquote law. But there only needs to be one law, do no harm. Right? If I say do good, uh, now there's lots of controversy. Do no harm? Was there harm? Yep. <laughs> Very easy to see that there was harm. Yeah. Very easy. Okay, so it's do no harm. So we have the... Um, the um, uh, legislative function where we decide together what would be good. We have the executive function, which is carrying it out. And we have the uh, judicial function, was it good? Right? If it wasn't good, if it caused harm, then we go to the judicial. Right? And they, I mean, we can do restorative justice. We can do nonviolent communication. We can do all the things, all the social technologies that have come up in order to help us resolve conflicts, uh, deal with uh, the things that create harm. We can eliminate all of the externalization of uh, costs onto the environment or onto society. We could completely eliminate uh, part-time work that doesn't have benefits, et cetera, et cetera. We could, or the, you know, the, the, all the ag sins of agriculture against the environment, et cetera, et cetera. As soon as we have the sense that we're going to, that, that the only law is the law of do no harm or the law of love, and we have this uh, possibility of administering justice by hearing from everyone. Now, the executive function, carrying out what we agreed would be good, that can be done by everybody in total freedom, right? Uh, the judicial can be us, the jury of your peers, 
We don't need lawyers. We don't need judges. We need the people who've experienced, who've been involved in the harm. Mm. Right? And if we hear from everyone, we're not concerned about an election. We're not concerned about all these other influences that are going... No, it's us. Right? We're deciding. So that's the legislative function. And then the last piece is that um, <clears throat> in order to create all the things that we need in order to live, everything in the existing system is organized so that everybody's cooperating. In other words, as soon as you join a company, you are being ordered into that company so that you're able to cooperate with everybody else to create what that company is creating mm. or that enterprise. Okay, so there's production in the economy. There's the production that comes from the in, uh, inspiration. So that's the uh, science, art, or religion, right, that's inspiring the individual. Mm. Then you need to go through the legislative process where you decide that it's good. We like that idea. It's good. We're going to issue the money to do it. And now you're into the, okay, we're all going to cooperate in order to produce it, cooperate to distribute it. And the end aim of the whole thing is consumption. Mm -hmm. So we're going to watch the way in which people decide egotistically whether they want it, right, and whether they're willing to spend their money on it. It's not like everybody has an unlimited supply of money. The money is accurately representing the value of the real things in the economy, hmm. right? So you can enjoy rising standards of living, but it never gets out of reality. So you have this uh, way in which the money is the accounting system. It's the way that we keep track of demand. Is there a demand by the evidence that people are willing to spend their money on it? Right? So you have freedom in culture, you have equality and justice in governance, and you have cooperation in the economy. If we're all cooperating, in order to create what we all agree would be good, then we get the better world that we all know in our hearts as possible. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. One last thing. Yeah. One last ahead, thing that's, that's really important. Everything, everything that I'm talking about depends on promoting the idea that the only realm in which we are truly free is in choosing how to interpret our experiences. Mm -hmm. We have an experience, and if we use the ready-made concepts from the culture, we perpetuate it. If we stop and say, what would be a better concept, a better idea, a better interpretation that would bring me joy, we create. Mm -hmm. That's the key to the whole thing. The last thing that makes that really important you can only change the past. If you go through all the experiences that led you to where you are now and change your interpretation, 
the entire future changes. So the future is totally determined by where we are right now, which is a result of our understanding of the past. Change our understanding of the past. Right? Mm. So that our understanding of the past is life-empowering, is uh, bringing us joy, is exciting. And the result is the better world we all know in our hearts is possible. That uh, was uh, incredible. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> sitting here riveted. I mean, oh, man, it's just you integrated everything because, you know, a lot of times, you know, especially, you know, in this kind of siloed, you know, academic environment, people are like, oh, this is economics, this is sociology, this is politics. And you just you brought everything together into just one coherent framework. I mean, people listen to this episode rewind it listen to it again because you are going to learn a lot i mean we went over how this is a big actually this is a big takeaway i got from this was that sociocracy like this the system it governs by consent not consensus it, it asks do you object rather than do you agree like we're trying to listen to all these different viewpoints we're really and if someone disagrees we want to know we don't want to just be like oh majoritarian rules sorry you know we want to know what it is and we want to and this lifts everyone up by listening to all of these different viewpoints and again i mean we we the people as john stated we're happiest when we have that transcendental purpose the autonomy and mastery and uh, you know uh, alternative socioeconomic models like john uh proposes with the mutual credit sociocracy uh common good these can help us go there and i just want to end off john by asking okay so what like i know you've done you've worked in so many projects i went through the laundry list i can't possibly list all of them because you're probably working on ten thousand other things right so i was wondering um what other like where do you see the tra trajectory going what other projects do you see that are that you feel have like value and are exciting like perhaps like uh blockchain hollow chain uh cryptocurrency block and um and other models that you feel could be of value um, okay, so nothing that's automatic or controlled by artificial intelligence is a good idea. Mm -hmm. The whole idea of, of um, the new paradigm or creating the better world has to do with everything passing through our healthy human judgment. Okay. So the entire culture is designed to isolate us in our houses in front of our TVs mm -hmm. and never have the opportunity to get together with other people and create what it is that we actually want. So n the reason that I concentrate on the money is that the, it, it's at the moment when you grasp how the money has created this culture that you want to do it differently. But that has mm -hmm. to be a result of a conscious decision. Right, so we need we can use the blockchain as long as we're not mining. Oh, right, yeah. we could I issue see. the money and use the bl the blockchain instead of banks to keep track of everything. Right, mm. but you would still need the function of the bank to evaluate the value for the community. Right. Mm.
I, I mean, if I want to borrow the money for a house, am I going to, you know, when I, is it going to be proportionate to what I'm able to contribute to society, right? It's not like we ever get away from that aspect of the existing system. It always has to be connected to reality. But it won't be creating reality. We'll be creating reality because we can issue the money to represent the value that we can create. Mm. Right? That's why we're talking about money. It always has to go through healthy human judgment. So may the, having the money maintain its value is a, um, <clears throat> it's a science. It can mm. be learned. And in some, in a future interview, perhaps, mm, yeah, uh, we could do just sociocracy, ah, and we could yes. do just community-created credit, and what a uh, better world bank would do. Ah. And we could do how we integrate our new system into the existing system, mm, so that it okay. gradually transforms it. So we're working with the Buckminster Fuller quote, you never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build the new model that makes the existing model obsolete. So what we're trying to do is build the new model that's so attractive that everybody just joins us. And that is a sociocratically governed community which understands money so that they can issue it to accomplish what they agree would be good. Mm. And the usarepublic.net, USA Republic with the CK, because that's how they spelled it in the dictionary of 1755, Right? It was a CK. That's sort of indicating that we're going way back there. Mm. Right? So the USARepublic.net and the Massachusetts Republic without the K, because in Massachusetts we don't like the K. It means KKK or it means <laughs> Hitler or it means what have you, right? So we yeah. don't we don't use it. Massachusettsrepublic.org, commongood.earth sociocracyforall.org and uh, justabundance.org and um, there's all kinds of other things that I I mean I've that I've been involved in and and you know continue to keep my finger in monetary.org that's the American Monetary Institute publicbankinginstitute.org that's public banking um, uh, currency.org so there's the whole mutual credit thing there's the whole business to business barter thing all of these things are examples of the existing technology that we can take advantage of to create the better world and that's the, 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 the from my point of view the key to the whole thing is we are by our very nature capable of creating together the better world that we all know in our hearts is possible. That is what we're about. That's what all the initiatives that I'm involved in are about. Yeah.
Wow. Um, John, I mean, you are a wealth of knowledge and wisdom. My monetary IQ just jumped up about 20 points just from this conversation. I'm sure and as I do more research and perhaps more conversations, it'll jump up even more. Again, thank you so much. Everyone, I mean, I'm going to list all these resources. Trust me, you're going to want to read them because they're not just informative, but they're they're clear, they're concise. Any, they're very accessible. I mean, you could, I, I, I'm sure you could give this to just about anybody and they'd be able to get some value out of it. So again, thank you so much, John. And thank yeah. you so much, Nomads. No okay, John, if you wanted to say any parting words before we go or... Yeah, thank you very much. I, it's so exciting to talk to somebody who's not only appreciative, but who's getting it, right? And who's generating. So when you're, as soon as you're able to generate, in other words, you're able to say and, and experience where what I've been talking about yourself, mm. then we're home free. That that's the, the, the moment of the shift. And I experience you doing that and I'm very grateful. Oh my god, thank you so much. I'm yeah, thank yeah. You. I'm taking that baton and I'm gonna do my best in the last <laughs> leg of the relay. So again, thank you so much everyone, and that's it for another episode of Noetic Nomads. Peace out and step up because the world needs you. Okay, goodbye. Oh, I like that. Oh my god. Okay, I'm gonna end right here.